at salvation, and then what, uh, what that means after salvation. So in the last hour, we looked at the components of the fallen condition, and we saw the old man or the old lady, <laughs> and then we saw the flesh, and that's the turf for the activity of that third component of indwelling sin. And so we spent some detail on that. Now we want to go to what I'm going to call before and after. In other words, from the fallen condition to the redeemed condition. So again, I hope you have your Bible because we'll refer to a couple of key phrases here as we uh, move through this. And uh, let's uh, pray. And as I pray, let me just encourage you to in your own heart, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Uh, because sometimes just a little piece of truth can connect dots and bring a volume of truth together. And when that happens, there's impact. So let's ask the Lord for that. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for uh, these dear friends, for LifeGate. Lord, for uh, this time together. Now, Spirit of God, would you be our teacher? Would you open the eyes of our understanding? Would you connect the dots? Lord, would you uh, 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 give that uh, light that allows truth to come together with truth and have a, have a building and compounding influence and impact. And so, Lord, I plead the blood. Protect us from Satan's attack. Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you on the throne far above the enemy. In your name, we exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder. We trust you that that not be allowed. Breathe on us, Lord. And may this be an encouraging time when we see what happened at salvation, the radical change and provision that you've given. So may faith be built. And uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember back in high school, I uh, went to a public school in uh, elementary school. And then in high school, we had a Christian school. And I remember we, uh, we had a teacher who was a bit overweight. And that uh, wasn't terrible, but a bit overweight. And uh, the students, you know, uh, they're not always kind <laughs> in the comments they make. And uh, one student uh, was passing by that teacher on the stairwell and said, you know, if you put your belt up higher, it wouldn't hang out so far. Obviously referring to the man's gut. <laughs> so uh, I have another pastor friend uh, who uh, I've known him for years. And uh, when I first knew him, he was, he was thin and trim. And then about 15 years later, he had one of those guts that either hangs out over the belt or you try to put the belt over it or whatever. Well, finally, he got fed up with that. And uh, he went on a diet of some sort. I don't remember the name of it. Uh, that also involved exercise and uh, so on. And I remember seeing his before and after picture. Uh, you've all seen those kind of pictures. But there he was, you know, the big gut hanging out. Uh, that's the before. And then here he is in the after picture. And he's now lean. And uh, he's uh, obviously uh, lost a lot of weight. And he's actually uh, gotten fit. And so he's standing there with one of those poses that they uh, use. I don't know quite how to do it, but uh, uh, for the after pose and uh, looked a whole lot better. Well, we're going to see the before and after in the matter of the fallen condition, the before, and then the redeemed condition, the after. And actually what we're going to look at is the before and then what happens at salvation and then what that means after salvation. So in the first, uh, in the session that we just came out of, we talked about the fallen condition and uh, uh, the three components, the old man and dwelling sin on the turf or in the turf of the flesh. So we want to ask ourselves, what changes at salvation? What stays the same? 
uh, just like in a stage play and they have a scene change. And sometimes it's a radical change. Sometimes just a few things change. So what happens at salvation? What changes? What stays the same? So uh, we'll just take a moment on the before salvation. We spent most of our time with that in the last hour about a couple of thoughts that uh, are different than what I stated before. First of all, indwelling sin, in a sense, is connected to our flesh. Now, I don't know that it's organic, uh, but there's obviously some kind of connection uh, between indwelling sin and the flesh. We saw that though they're two entities, uh, they are clearly linked, sometimes even the word flesh referring to both. So if, uh, Colossians 2.11, the body of the sins of the flesh, uh, in our text, Romans 6.6, 6, uh, refers to the body of sin. So there is some type of link between indwelling sin and our flesh. But a second thought, the old man, the old you, the unregenerated human spirit is very definitely, prior to salvation, connected to indwelling sin. That is more of an organic connection. How do we know? Well, if you have your Bible open to Romans 6, look at verse 2. After verse 1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It then says, God forbid, may it never be, perish the thought. How shall we that are dead to sin, or literally who have died to sin, live any longer therein. Now that little phrase, died to sin, is, is the, the phrase before our thoughts at the moment. Death, in its practical essence, is separation. Just as in physical death, when the soul separates from the body, uh, there's a separation. Okay, so when the Bible says we die to sin, that old sin master, that entity called indwelling sin, in order for there to be a death, in order for there to be a separation, presupposes there's a union to separate. Ah, so that lets us know that in the immaterial part of our being, our old man, the core of our being prior to salvation is in a union of some sort. It is vitally connected to this indwelling sin master. Uh, it's as if we're shackled. It's as if we're chained to this sin master. And so our old man, our core, is in a union with sin, because in order for us to die to sin, that presupposes there was a union to be broken. It lets us know that the old man is connected prior to salvation to indwelling sin. So two thoughts so far, indwelling sin is connected to your flesh, at least in a broad sense, but in a narrow sense, the old man is connected to indwelling sin. So here's the third thought on the before picture. Your union with your flesh was through your union with indwelling sin, the master of your flesh. In other words, our old man is joined to indwelling sin, which is joined to our flesh. So our connection, that is the real us, the core of our being, the old man to our flesh is through indwelling sin. The old man is vitally connected to indwelling sin, which is connected then to our flesh. That is a summary of the fallen condition. 
And uh, those three components are connected. Now, what happens at salvation? This is where the gospel comes in. The good news at salvation. And here I'll give you a number of thoughts. And uh, we'll just kind of peel it back layer of truth by layer. And let's revel in the precision of what the New Testament text tells us. First of all, at salvation, the Holy Spirit places you into Christ. If you look at uh, Romans 6 and verse 3, know ye not. In other words, this is something you need to know. You got to know this, that so many of us as were baptized into Christ, I'll stop right there. Uh, that phrase is given to us in Galatians 3, 26 and 27, telling us that by faith, we become a child of God. And when we, by faith, become a child of God, it says we are baptized, immersed, plunged into, submerged into Christ. So the bottom line is, at salvation, the Holy Spirit places you. He baptizes you. He immerses you into Jesus Christ. You are in him. Uh, that is a phenomenal truth. And it is spelled out in detail, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 13. And here we have it right in Romans 6. Don't you know that so many of us as were baptized into Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, Galatians tells us, you were submerged, immersed, placed into Jesus Christ you are in him. It's not figurative. It's literal. It's just that we're talking about the spiritual realm, not the physical realm. Second thought, when you were placed into Christ, you were placed into his death. So Romans 3, or excuse me, Romans 6 verse 3 says, no, you're not. Don't you know that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So the logic is simple. If you got placed into Jesus, you got placed into his history, which, by the way, means that at salvation, not only do you get a new future, you get a new past, which is really cool if you stop and think about it. Uh, so uh, when you got placed into Jesus, you're placed into his history, which means, as it says right here in verse three, you are now placed into his death. Now, keep in mind, death is separation. So here's how we're going to see this is going to work. So at salvation, we're placed into Jesus. When we were placed into Jesus, we're placed into his death. Now, third thought, when you were placed into Christ's death unto sin, that's when you died unto sin. Now, here we see the combination of verse 2 that says you died to sin. And here's how it happened. Verse 10, knowing, here's another no, that Christ, excuse me, that's verse 9. Verse 10 says, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. Now that's a little phrase. I think it's one of the greatest phrases in the New Testament when you understand what it means. Jesus died unto sin. Now, that is not the same as 1 Corinthians 15, 3, the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins. That's the gospel of sinners. This is saying Christ died unto sin. This is the gospel of saints. Yes, he died for our sins. Hallelujah. He is our substitute. But something happened on the cross where the scripture is also saying that not only did he die for our sins, he died unto sin. Now that presupposes 
that there had to be a coming into contact or union with our sin in order for Jesus to die unto sin. And of course, here's the glory of crucifixion day. Uh, we read in the gospels that from 12 noon to three o'clock in the afternoon, the entire earth was darkened. Why? We read that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are strong words. Why did he say that? It's because in those hours, Jesus, God, the son, functioning as the son of man to represent us, was literally separated from God, the father, that's death, because he was in actual union or contact with our sin. And that is why I believe he agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was not running from the cross. He came to save sinners. The agony was the way of the cross. That for the very first time in all of eternity, the perfect sinless, without, blemle without blemish Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus, God the Son, functioning as the Son of Man, separated from the Father, was in an actual contact, union, connection with our sins with the sins of the race. That's why Jesus is called the last Adam. He's never called the second Adam. He's called the second man. He's called the last Adam. So that means that the sins of the entire human race from the very first Adam that we read about in Genesis 1 to the very last human being who will ever live, all of the sins of the race conglomerate went on Jesus. But it's not just that he died for our sins. There is a coming into union with the whole deeper picture because our text says he died unto sin. And so here's the weight of it. On the cross, Jesus actually connected in contact with the dirt and filth of us all because of this sin master. But before he voluntarily gives up his spirit, he cries with a loud voice, it is finished. And then as we read in our text, he died unto sin once. So here's the beauty of it. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you get baptized, placed into Jesus. When you get placed into Jesus, you get placed into his history. That means you get placed into his death. And so in the immaterial part of our being, that before salvation picture where the old man is stuck to, united to, chained to, shackled to, indwelling sin. But we get placed into Jesus, we get placed into his death, and the cross comes in like a giant knife and cuts through all of those shackles and sets us free. And that's when we die unto sin. He died unto sin, and when we're placed into him, that's when that is applied to us. And verse two, that's when you died to sin. So here's the fourth thought. When you died to sin, your old man was disconnected from indwelling sin. You got unshackled. You got set free. Look at verse seven. What a great verse. For he that is dead, literally he who has died is freed, liberated from sin. Not sins, but that sin master. You see, prior to salvation, you're stuck to that guy, joined to that guy, chained to that guy, shackled to that guy. There was that forced slavery 
But now the cross comes in and through Jesus, because he died unto sin and we died in him unto sin, there is a disconnection. There is a separation. There is a liberation. He who has died has been freed, liberated from that old master of indwelling sin. Now, here's the beauty. We just saw in the before picture, our old man was connected to indwelling sin, which was connected to our flesh. So if we get disconnected at our core, our human spirit gets set free from indwelling sin, then not only did we get set free from the sin master, we got set free from the mastery of the flesh. Because we got disconnected from indwelling sin. So if we're freed from the sin master, we're freed from that sin mastery of our flesh. And that's why the end of verse six says, we're crucified with him. All of this happens that the body of sin might be destroyed. Now, keep in mind, that's not annihilated. It's the idea of deprived of its power. We're no longer organically connected so that henceforth we should no longer serve sin. We're no longer forced to be slaves to this sin master. Now, that's a lot of truth, but I'm telling you, it's phenomenal, but it gets even better. Here's the next thought. We're still dealing with what happens at salvation. The old man died with Christ and then was raised with Christ, the new man. So if you're placed into Christ, which you are at salvation, you're baptized into Christ. It's a matter of fact. You're placed into his history. That includes his death and his resurrection. And so if you'll look, please, in our text at verse 4 of chapter 6, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together, baptized together, united together in the likeness of his death, we should be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And so Ephesians 4.24 says we're uh, now raised the new man, created after God in righteousness and true holiness. So that means the human spirit, the old man, dies with Christ. In that death, we're disconnected from indwelling sin, and then we're raised with Christ, the new man. That's what the Bible uh, or theologians call regeneration. The new man is your regenerated human spirit. So a couple more thoughts about that part. Your new man is a new creation. It's not a renovation. It's a new creation. The old man actually dies, but then is resurrected. The new man, which we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, is the new creation. And the word creation that is used there, creature, literally indicates a creative act of God. And that's why Ephesians 4, 24 says the new man created after God. See, it's, it's a new creation and not a re renovation. I've often pointed out that that part of us is described in 1 John 3, 9 as God's seed. It's literally the word God's sperma. In other words, something of the nature of God. God's DNA is inserted into you <laughs> when you get born again. Uh, the Holy Spirit generates the divine life into you, the divine nature, the divine DNA. And so 
that new man, that new creation is God's seed. It's God's something of his nature, something of his DNA implanted right into your being. But it gets even better. That new man, that regenerated human spirit is now joined by the Holy Spirit. Romans 7 verse 4 says that we're raised with Christ so that we might be married, joined to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. And that's when the spirit of Jesus brings that life of Jesus, the resurrected enthroned life of Jesus right into our being and our human spirit that is now consisting of God's divine uh, DNA is now joined by the Holy Spirit of Jesus himself. And 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Just as you have husband and wife, two entities, but called one flesh. We have regenerated spirit and Holy Spirit, one spirit. Now, the default of the new man, the real you, we dealt with the real you in one of the conferences before. The default of the real you is to Jesus, the real leader, every time. Now, that means we have two default potentials. Because at the end of the last hour, in the fallen condition, uh, we noted that the default of that old sin master is to yield to temptation. But we got separated from him. Now we're raised a new man. The Holy Spirit moves in. We have a new leader. And the default of the new man is to the new leader. So the default of indwelling sin is to yield to temptation, but that's not who you are anymore. You got disconnected from that guy. And the default of the real you, the new man, that new creation, God's seed in you is to Jesus by his spirit every time. So uh, we'll see how that plays out here in a moment, but let's summarize what happens at salvation. Prior to salvation, there were three components to the fallen condition. Uh, there was the old man, and then indwelling sin, and the turf of the flesh. But at salvation, those three components get reduced to two. There's still the flesh. We still live in the flesh. We still live in the human body and the human soul. They're not completely saved yet. The body's not saved at all. It's getting older. It gets COVID. It gets messed up and so forth. Uh, the soul is what's to be being saved. That's where progressive sanctification takes place. And there's progress if there's faith and there's lack of progress if there's unbelief. But uh, that flesh still exists. And in dwelling sin, we got severed from that guy, but he still resides in our soul and body level. But at salvation, there's no longer three components. It's reduced to two. There's still the flesh. There's still indwelling sin. So now we come to the question that Florence was asking at the end of the last session. What happened to the old man? Where's that guy? Now, don't miss this. If the old man died with Christ and is raised the new man, where is he? 
he's gone forever. You cannot have an unregenerated human spirit and a regenerated spirit in the same body at the same time. So the old man, the unregenerated spirit, dies with Christ, is severed from indwelling sin. Indwelling sin still hangs around on the soul body level, but we're severed from indwelling sin. Now we're raised with Christ, the new man, which means the old man is gone forever. That's phenomenal. That's why Colossians 3.9 says you have put off the old man. The wording in Ephesians is less clear. It's actually the same verb tense. Uh, the translation in uh, Colossians is uh, quite clear. You have put off the old man. In other words, he's gone. He's out of here. <laughs> There's no old man left. The three components of the fallen condition have been reduced to two. And that old man has been raised with Christ, the new man. And now the Holy Spirit of Jesus has moved in. That's why I say it's very difficult to define the old nature. If you define the old nature as the old man, then we don't have an old nature anymore. That's why I don't do that, because the Bible doesn't really do that. It doesn't, it doesn't use the terminology old, uh, old nature. There's the old man, but he's out of here. He's gone. But we still have the flesh, the turf, as well as that sin master that we're no longer connected to, but he still resides in our soul body level and tries to trip us up. So what's the old nature? Well, I don't know. The fallen condition is the three components that at salvation get reduced to two. And that brings us to the after salvation picture. This, based on what happens at salvation, uh, uh, shows us what provision we have to deal with the old sin master that's hung, still hanging around, though we got severed from him. So let's, let's deal with after salvation. First thought. Although the old man is gone, indwelling sin still remains in your flesh. Uh, many of you, if not all of you, would claim to know the Lord. Hallelujah. Put your faith in Jesus. You're saved. You're born again. You're regenerated. You're on your way to heaven. But when temptation hits you, do you still have a pull toward it? <laughs> well, what is that? And why is that since you're saved? Well, it's not your old man. He's gone. It's that sin master. It's indwelling sin that still resides in your flesh, in the soul body levels. Your human spirit has been set free, but indwelling sin still seeks to operate in the soul and body levels of our flesh. Indwelling sin is still connected to our flesh, but our core is no longer connected to indwelling sin. So at our core, we're no longer connected to the sin master and therefore that sin mastery. That means now there's a battle. Galatians 5.17 spells it out between our flesh and our spirit. We still have the body, the sin cursed body and soul levels of our being that are not completely saved yet. The human spirit is completely saved. It's God's nature implanted in you. Obviously, that part's completely saved, but the soul body level, body's not saved at all, won't be till it's glorified. Soul is in the process of being saved, but it's not fully saved yet. Okay, so the battle then is between the flesh, where that sin master is still urging us through the deceptions of the enemy, Ephesians 2, to yield to temptation, and then the spirit part of our being, which says, no, no, that'll bind you. That'll bring uh, destruction. Don't go that route. 
And so all of us are very aware on every day of our lives, there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit, between the mind of the flesh, the sin master, and then the Holy Spirit joined to our regenerated spirit. So number three, now it's a matter of who you yield to, who I yield to. Do we yield to indwelling sin, the old sin master, or the indwelling spirit, the new leader? I don't call the indwelling spirit the new master, and the reason I don't is because in the relationship prior to salvation between the old man and the sin master, it was forced slavery. We got severed from the sin master at salvation. When we're placed into Christ in his death, we die unto sin. Now we're raised with Christ, the new man, and the Holy Spirit moves in, but he doesn't force us. That's why I don't use the term master, but rather leader. He leads us to follow him, but he doesn't force us to. It's not a dictatorship. It's amazing. The God of heaven has moved in our being. He doesn't force us. But the reason is he doesn't want robots. He wants a love relationship. Back to what we saw in the first hour today, that active cooperation of faith. You see, when we're raised with Christ, the new man, and joined to the spirit of Jesus, we can yield to Jesus, or we can rebel, and we can yield to the sin master who's not our master. But if we do, it's no longer forced slavery. It's voluntary slavery, which is obviously insane. But that's what we do every time we yield to temptation. We are acting like the sin master is our boss when he isn't. He has no more authority. We got severed from him. He tries to assert his power, but he has no more authority in our lives. We're not joined to him. We got severed from him, raised with Christ the new man, and now we're joined to Jesus. But Jesus, by his spirit, urges us to follow him, but we then must make that choice. Back to the faith response, back to God's economy, what we saw in the first hour. So now think about it. When we yield to the flesh, when we yield to the sin master, what happens? The flesh overcomes as the works of the flesh are manifest. And by the way, when a child of God yields to his flesh and the works of the flesh are manifest, it's very confusing because unsaved flesh and saved flesh look exactly the same. Adultery looks like adultery. <laughs> envy looks like envy. And so when a child of God yields to the flesh so that the works of the flesh are manifest, it's very confusing because we look like what we're not. Thankfully, God knows who we really are in Christ, but we confuse man when the works of the flesh are manifest. However, when we yield to the spirit, then Christ in us overcomes. He said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He overcomes as the fruit of him, the fruit of the spirit of Jesus is then manifested. So we yield to the flesh, the works of the flesh are manifest. We yield to the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, all manifested when we yield to and walk in the provision of the spirit. So number four, it's not a matter of flesh dependence to overcome flesh indulgence. In other words, it's not a matter of depending on the strength of the flesh to overcome the works of the flesh. Why? Because flesh cannot conquer flesh. 
In fact, Satan doesn't give a rip which side of the flesh is your bigger deal. If he can trip you up with the works of the flesh, okay, he's got you enslaved with habits and, and addictions and all of that. But if he can just get you to trust your own flesh, to try to look religious and look good, he still doesn't care because flesh is not spirit. What he doesn't want is the Holy Spirit to be manifested. And so if he can get you to depend on the strength of your own flesh to conquer the baser side of your flesh, he still wins because it's still flesh. And when that's the case, all we're doing is trying to imitate. Uh, New Testament Christianity is not imitating good actions. Unsaved moralists can do that. It's not imitation, it's impartation. As you yield to the spirit and the spirit working through your, regener your regenerated spirit lifts the spirit part of your being up over your soul and body and lets the, the life of Jesus animate your personality so that his overcoming life, his victorious life is now animating you and you experience Jesus. See, that's the revived life. That's not imitation. That's impartation. That's the spirit for life. It's the spirit in you filling you with the life of Jesus Christ. That's glorious. The reality is imitation is just that. It's imitation. The fruit of the spirit is unnatural to the flesh. The flesh cannot even come close to real spirit fruit. At best, it's imitation. And there are these stores, like in the States, there's one store called Pier One Imports, and they have this imitation fruit like pears that look so real. <laughs> uh, but if you take a bite, it's not real. And so in the same way, the imitation can look good outwardly, but that's it. It's not the real deal. It's not the same. Number five, it is a matter of spirit dependence, trusting his leadership and his power. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.25 says, if you've been made alive in the spirit, walk in the spirit. And in the grammar of those two verses that say walk in the spirit, one deals with the spirit's leadership. He's in charge. The other one deals with his power to enable us to follow his leadership. And so it's a matter of depending on his leadership and his power. Back to God's economy. When God stirs us, that's his leadership. When we faith respond, then he empowers us. There's the power. And so there it is. Spirit dependence is this faith cooperation with the leadership and power of the Holy Spirit. Number six, when you and I yield to our flesh, the flesh all of a sudden becomes powerful. Look, you and I know we're saved. You know we've been severed from indwelling sin. You haven't, this is for many of you, it's not by any means the first time you've heard this. But why is it that when we yield to the sin master, all of a sudden those works of the flesh just, just kind of overtake us? It's like a, a stream and you think it's not that deep and you think the current's not that strong and you take a step in and all of a sudden it's a lot deeper than you thought and the current picks you up and just carries you down the river farther than you ever planned to go. That's the flesh. You see, when we yield to the mind of the flesh, we, when we yield to the sin master that we're not connected to, but when we yield to him, all of a sudden the power of the flesh picks us up like that strong current and carries us often further than we ever intended to go. It's a tragic thing when we yield to anger and all of a sudden things are said that wound and hurt and all of a sudden things that don't have wings start flying <laughs> uh, across the room and things get broken and and what a tragedy. 
See, that's power, isn't it? When we yield to the sin master, there's all sorts of power. And whether it's in addictions or lust or whatever, all of a sudden this, this old power comes rushing back and we're enslaved when technically we've been set free. Well, it's because when you yield to the flesh, you're embracing that part of you, that indwelling sin part of you that is totally alienated from the life of God. You're embracing death. You're embracing that which is separated. Remember the practical essence of death is separation. You're embracing that which is separated from the life of God. However, number seven, when you yield to the spirit, your flesh is deprived of its power. That's what Romans 6, 6 is saying. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be deprived of its power. That's what Colossians 3 is talking about. Because there's been an intrinsic cut and separation, you uh, have been freed from indwelling sin, then put to death the deeds of the body. In other words, deprive the flesh of its power by yielding to the spirit. When you yield to Jesus in you, all of a sudden there's like this supernatural filter to protect you from wrong thoughts. There's this supernatural power to protect you from those former bad habits. It's like you're insulated. You're here on earth, and yet there's like this supernatural uh, shield around you. And the flesh is deprived of its power. That's the better way to go, folks. <laughs> and that's accessing Jesus. That's Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ lives in me. How? By faith. When I yield to his leadership and power, the spirit imparts to me the very life of Jesus. When the life of Jesus steps forth, the flesh is deprived of its power. You see, our connection to the flesh was through indwelling sin. We got severed from indwelling sin, and it's only when we yield to indwelling sin by choice and rebellion and disobedience as a child of God that all of a sudden all that power seems to come rushing back. But the reality is we're severed from indwelling sin. Therefore, we're severed from the mastery of the flesh when we got severed from the master of the flesh. And thus, when we yield to our new leader, his life and power burst forth. God animates us. He fills us. And there is that radiance that comes from heaven. There is that joy of the Lord. There is that, that reality of Jesus. And yes, sometimes that's purged through suffering. And that's a whole other thought and discussion. But the reality is that's when the life of Jesus burst forth. And Jesus is manifest on earth. And in Colossians 3, 4, Christ, who is our life, when he appears, when he's manifested, then we're manifested with him in glory. That's not just a reference to the coming glory of heaven. It's now. When Jesus in you is manifested, his glory is manifested, and therefore his glory is seen in you. We're manifested. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we sh then shall we be manifested with him in glory. When his glory is manifested, that glory shines literally in you. There's a radiance. It's not physical. It's spiritual, but it's just as real as if it were physical. And there is that reality of Jesus, and people see the Lord. I remember talking, though, many, many times. I've been talking to people that I've met for the very first time out in the 
marketplace or whatever the case may be. And I begin to sense, you know what? I see that Jesus look. <laughs> I see that Jesus radiance. And uh, often I get to ask them. And sure enough, they, they're born again. They know the Lord. You see, they're walking in the spirit. And that life of Jesus is manifest. So to summarize it all, after salvation, the two remaining components of the fallen condition, the flesh and the sin master, can be overcome by what was replaced in us at salvation, the new man, God's DNA implanted into us, and then the Holy Spirit who moved in. And when we, by faith, yield to him, we access him. And there is no battle at that point. Uh, there's no struggle. It's nothing for Jesus in us to counteract and overcome our flesh. It's only when we're yielding to unbelief that the battle seems like equals. The reality is, when we access Jesus, the flesh doesn't stand a chance. And Jesus obviously is far greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that's when his life counteracts and overcomes the flesh part of us. So as it's getting darker for you there in Ireland, uh, when the sun sets, you'll have to turn your lights on. I can see in some of your homes, you've got lights on already. Uh, that shows that you have electricity and you've got wires in your walls and it's all connected to a power source. And with the flip of a switch, though it's dark outside, then when you flip on the switch, that light, the power is accessed and that light counteracts and overcomes the darkness. Now, it's not a done deal forever because if you turn the light switch off, your rooms and houses will go dark again. But as long as you keep the light switch in the on position, then you keep accessing the power source. And when you do, the law of light counteracts and overcomes the law of darkness. And that's what we have in the regenerated condition. There is the provision through the switch of faith to access the life of Jesus, who is light himself. And he counteracts and overcomes the works of the flesh. He counteracts and overcomes the works of darkness. But it's not a one-deal robotic thing, then that's it forever, because we can stop yielding to him. And when we do, immediately the darkness takes right over. Isn't it amazing how you can be walking with the Lord, walking in the spirit, reveling in the Lord, having a wonderful day, and have a trigger come up, a temptation come up, and uh, if you're not careful, you can yield to it, and immediately darkness overcomes the light. But the moment you get honest and side with God, the blood of Jesus cleanses, and you can go right back to yielding to the Spirit, and immediately the light of Jesus overcomes the darkness. That's the provision for the saved child of God. We have the provision to walk in the spirit, walk in the provision of the spirit, his leadership, his power. As he leads us, we respond in faith. He enables us. There's our economy where the cash is faith. And we access this amazing provision of the Holy Spirit in us, who's joined to our regenerated spirit, God's DNA in us. And when we trust in him, then he manifests Jesus. And it's interesting, is it not? There's no access to the spirit except by faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
So that's how the word of God in Hebrews is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's when we, by faith, trust in the spirit based on truth, the words, then the spirit joined to our spirit lifts up the spirit part of our being. It divides asunder between soul and spirit and the spirit part of us under the leadership and power of the Holy Spirit himself literally rules over the soul and body. And that's when the spirit rules over the flesh, counteracts and overcomes. That is the provision for every child of God. May we daily and throughout the day walk in the provision of the spirit. All right. Thank you.